Hello, 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 and welcome to week seven of the 52-week film project. Um, hi, Will. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. How are you? I'm good. I'm a bit nervous because this is the first time we've ever recorded apart from each other. I know. Um, sad times. And I'm I'm a bit apprehensive that we're going to get 45 minutes through this and then kind of finish it and be really happy about our review and then look back on it and realise that we either haven't been recording or haven't recorded properly. We're doing it through Skype. We're doing it through my microphone on my crummy old laptop because for some reason my mic won't connect. It's Whereas all an experience, really. Everything this, is, this morning um, was fun to set up, really. Yeah, so, so <laughs> ho- ho- hopefully um, the decibels of my voice right now aren't screeching through people's ears when they're listening to this. No, um, no, we have an editing wizard. It'll be fine. It'll be exactly. great. Exactly. Shout out, John. Shout out, John. Um, but yeah, week seven. Um, as we mentioned last week, we haven't bothered to go to the cinema this week. Um, <laughs> in, instead, we've decided to watch a film that was on both of our bucket lists. So we're going to be reviewing You Were Never Really Here with Joaquin Phoenix, directed by Lynn Ramsey. But before we get there, I just thought I wanted to say beforehand, I mean, if people are following us on Instagram, you will have noticed, but we've had a couple of changes, haven't we, Will? We have indeed, yes. We, we are... Sorry, God, you, 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 go, go. God, you, you so, tell the news. So we have, first of all, um, first of all, with that, not a change, but a very exciting new development, we are now on Spotify, which is so exciting. Which is um, absolutely awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, it just, just I use Spotify all the time, and just seeing our podcast on that is quite, it's quite moving, actually. It, it, it's, is, I, it, it makes is me feel really like cool. I'm, yeah, and it's the, the way that Spotify do it is that they sort of make you work for it. You have to, you, ha- you have to apply, or you have to do about five or six podcasts before they consider you. And the fact that we've got on there suggests that we're doing something right. So yeah, very happy. Yeah. And it was, it was timed well with the design of our new logo. By, oh, my, uh, by my awesome mate Misha uh, yeah. in the Netherlands. Um, and so, yeah, now, now I think we, we, we're making steps towards looking incredibly professional in what we're doing, which is really, really exciting. I mean, we'll say, let's say that after the sound quality of this video uh, comes out. Yeah. But... <laughs> know, so yeah, yeah, like visually, we've gone up a few rungs. <laughs> yeah, we run a very Audio. successful Instagram, Instagram account. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, not at all. Um, also, um, so we have also just been um, theorising about what we should do for, with podcast going forward um and we decided um that it'd be really interesting to for the first like 10 12 15 minutes of the podcast talk about our film news for the podcast specifically 12 minutes well this is what we discussed (laughs) 12 minutes 38 seconds exactly um yes um and i and yeah so this is film news that we have selected on our own accords that interest us um and um, mainly but also hopefully will interest you yeah, I mean, I think the idea behind this is that we want to make this podcast. If it's coming out every week, we kind of we've had great feedback from friends and family and some other people out there listening. Um, but we want to make it interesting for someone to kind of listen in for even like the first fifteen to twenty minutes, even if they haven't watched the film that we're talking about that week. Exactly. So exactly. What, what we're going to trial out is yeah, doing a few. We we've both picked three different news articles today that have kind of things that interest us. We're going to have a brief chat about them, and then we're going to get on with reviewing. You were never really here. So, Will, hit me with your first bit of film news for the week, mate. Uh, So my first bit of film news is um, the film Shazam. Um, It's a DC film coming out soon. It's directed by 
David F. Sandberg. Um, he's not done a lot of films. He did the, he did a very weird, I think it's a Scandinavian horror called or or something called Lights Out. I don't know if you've okay. seen it. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you've no, seen Lights Out? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so he's directing the new Shazam film. And, re- and, and sorry, is, is, Shazam, is Shazam a, like a, a DC superhero? I don't really know anything about this character. So, Shaz- okay, so I, <laughs> comic geek time. Um, <laughs> here we go. So, Shazam is a, um, is, it's, Shazam is an essence of like a god, which is passed down through generations to generations by a wizard, Shazam, and he passes the essence of his powers into different people. So you have a kid, I can't remember the name, name of the kid, um, who's like nine, ten years old, and he gets all this power because he's got strong moral heart, and he says Shazam, lightning strikes him, and then he turns into an adult superhero. So it's the dichotomy of like, he turns from a 16-year-old boy into a 45-year-old like god. Um, just right, by saying okay. the word Shazam. Um, Zachary Levi um, has just been cast as Shazam. I'm not very, very, very aware of him. But what I do know is the wizard, um, which is what has come out this week, is is Digimon Honsu, who... Oh, yes, really? Yeah, which I think is fantastic. Um, normally the wizard's like this white old man, um, he's, sort of Ian McKellen-like, he, but that's a really good casting. He, he, what's it, remind me what he's been in. He's he's in like what like he's, he's seemingly in like every single action movie you can think of. Oh yeah, so, so he's in guard. He's in Guardians. Isn't he's he? in Guardians. Like, yeah, that's not um, what he, that's, what's he known for. He's known mainly for I think Blood Diamond. Um, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's the, the Leonardo main, DiCaprio one. Indeed, yeah, in South, set in South South Africa. I think he's very okay. very good in it. He's also in Gladiator. He's also um, we've mentioned this about three times now. Um, King Arthur. Arthur and the Shield or King Arthur and the Stone, whatever that oh, film came out. The yeah. one with David Beckham did a cameo. Yeah, pretty much. Oh gosh, David <laughs> Beckham's cameo. That was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Anyway, um, no, I'm very excited because in the last couple of years, um, this actor hasn't got the work that have, has been deserving of his, his talent, um, especially after seeing him in Blood Diamond. Um, and so I think for the casting him in that role is going to be fantastic. It's yeah. Be absolutely fantastic. Um, Jake, what's your bit of first bit of film news? Uh, right. Well, okay. So, I mean, I suppose we could, we're encompassing TV news for this as well, right? Yeah. Yep. So my first bit of news is, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. So the man behind Borat, Bruno, the Ali G show, all sorts of incredibly risky satire. Yep. Um, he, he's now kind of suddenly revealed that he's actually been secretly filming for a year in the U S in different disguises. And he's dropping a new TV show called Who is America, which starts on Channel 4 on Monday night. It's on Showtime over in the US. And it's picking up a lot of press because I think what's, what's happened so far, so they've released a little promo that's sort of shown Dick Cheney in an interview. Oh, supposedly, wow. Yeah, like supposedly signing a waterboarding kit. Um, which no. is just, yeah, I know. And then Sarah Palin has come out and been like, I was duped by the deceitful Sasha Baron Cohen, like calling for Showtime viewers to boycott the show when it comes out on Sunday night there. Um, so this is all working in his favor. This is exactly what he wants. And I'm like, I'm very, very excited. And when I knew that he was doing a new project, probably about a month ago, I kind of assumed, oh yeah, this will be out some probably sometime in 2019. No, it's literally coming out in two days time. That's so exciting. Wait. I didn't even know about yeah, it. That, that is, that is yeah, incredible. Yeah. Um, so what, so how, how's, do you know how the format of the show is going to be? If they, uh, um, no is it idea. just, so no it's just idea. different skits and sketches, different skits and characters. Yeah, yeah, multiple different disguises, kind of think phone jacker kind of thing. Uh, right, uh, okay. He's, he's, he's not just being one character, and I think the purpose is he's been trying to get himself into as many situations as he possibly can. Um, so Because he, he's so well-known now, he couldn't just embody one character like Borat and get away with it anymore. 
No, um, exactly. But yeah, no, interesting. What's uh, what's your next bit of news, mate? Um, very exciting news. Um, short and short and sweet. Billy D. Williams is set to star in Star Wars Episode Nine, reprising his role as Lando Calrissian. Mm, okay. Um, yes, going back to the first podcast um, where we've already had Solo and we've had Donald Glover, it'll be interesting to see the take of um, of, of what ha- what Billy D. Williams does in this film. Especially, uh, will they tie in continuity from Solo? Um, probably not. So they'll probably just have him as a cameo. Also, but also, we talked about this in the Last Jedi. That's another thing that J.J. Abrams has got to factor in and tie up and do a good job with in this film. He's got so much pressure to to um, not rewrite the wrongs of the Last Jedi, but rewrite the wrongs of the Last Jedi. Um, yeah. But whilst also introducing one of the seminal characters from the original films, it's this is it's going to be interesting. I'm very excited. I'm very very excited about it. But I also am, there's a slight caution, I'm slightly cautious with it as well. Um, what yeah, do you think? I, mean, I, I don't know. I mean, you, I, you know I'm not as big a Star Wars fan as you. I think um, going into this final episode, I think what was so good about The Force Awakens was its sense of nostalgia, which I think The Last Jedi kind of didn't do as well as it should have done. Um, I think it kind of threw caution to the wind in a way that kind of disregarded a lot of, of what had come before rather than kind of appreciated it. Yeah, uh, so I, th- I think it was a bit of a misfire. So you know, I'm, I'm hesitant. Um, but having said that, JJ Abrams is back helming the ship, and I think that's really, really good. So yeah, I reckon it'd be good. I really, I, I reckon they'll struggle to tie it up in a bad way. I just think that it's, I don't, you know, I don't think it's going to be a brilliant film. Yeah. Do you think that's the fault of the Last Jedi, or do you think that he's got too much stuff? It's, it's it's just the just the problem with the sequels and ge- sequels in general is that we're never going to get the best conclusion. I don't really know. I don't really know. I think uh, I, I think it's hard to tie up anything, um, especially when it's got that much of a legacy. But you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll see, see what, what happens. happens. Exactly. Um, my next bit of news is uh, something. I I'm really excited about it. I don't know if people care that much. Basically, do you remember back in 2014 there was a RoboCop reboot? Yes, that, I do. That, yes, that, that, that no one fucking watched. Um, I well, watched they, it. Did you? Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I, but, I watched but, the first but, but, Robocop next to the sec- next to the remake of the Ro- Robocop, and, then, and the yeah. films are just two different films. Yeah, completely. Well, anyway, they've they've kind of they've they've done away with that reboot, and they've said, you know, fuck it, we're not doing, we're not going to carry on that franchise, and they are re-rebooting it, but they are rebooting it as a direct follow-up to the 1987 original Robocop film. It's going to be called Robocop Returns. And the most exciting part of this is it is being directed by Neil Blomkamp, who is the South African director behind District 9, Elysium and Chappie. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That so like, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't really care about a Robocop film until I saw that it's his next project. And every single film he's brought out, I think, is just really, really solid. So um, we had I think talked he's, the other yes, we had he's, talked the other he's a perfect about... person for it. 100%. We had a talk about the other day about how amazing Chappie is as a film. Um, it is it, a beautiful film. It's such a beautiful film. And casting Deant Ward was just a, a, a stroke of excellence. Mm, I think I think that'll be very, very exciting. Um, yeah, definitely. Like, um, I, I, I was I was worried worried when I saw it. Um, I saw it on my newsfeed as well, and I was worried. But now that I know that it's in good hands, I'm. do you know if it's going to be like an 18 rating? Do you know if it's going to be the same? Uh, sort yeah, of- yeah, yeah. It, it's it's going to be an R-rated film full of, you know, guts, gore, explosions. They're going to go, you know, they're going to treat it properly. They're not going to make it a kind of a teen sci-fi flick. 
well, which that's... is which is which is exactly what they need to do because the, the original is quite a like it's quite a heavy film like the violence is quite gratuitous. Yeah, um, essentially <clears throat> it was dumb. It was dumbed down as a franchise because they they it was so popular they needed to sell merchandise and so yeah, they exactly. couldn't sell toys to kids of a film that's an eighteen. Yeah. So it just went. It, so I think the Robocop two went down to a fifteen, and the Robocop three went down to a twelve, and then the, and then the last one was a twelve PG twelve PG thirteen okay. film. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm. That was very exciting. That's very very exciting. Uh, my last bit of film news um, is that um, the Marvel directors. Um, well, I didn't know this was happening for start, but there is a Black Widow film coming out, uh, which has been announced yep. for a while. I just hadn't seen it. It's been um, in the work for years. And well, I've, I've, never, yeah. I've never thought she's a, I'm not, you know, I'm not hating on Scarlett Johansson, but I just, I don't think they've made the character interesting enough for, to have a standalone film. It's got nothing to do with whether she's a male or female character. I would think the same thing of Hawkeye having a standalone film. I just don't think it's got enough substance to it. Yeah. I mean, she's been in so many films, but she's always part of the backstory, part of the, like the furnishings of the Avengers films in a yeah, way. Yeah, she's not, she's not important to me. Exactly, and I think that I think they've made that her that way. She's because she's essentially been second fiddle to Captain America now for three movies. Yeah, and even even in Civil War, like Civil War, she's barely in it. In um, Infinity War, without any spoilers, she's 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 in it. She's in a lot of the film, but she doesn't have many talking, speaking. There's no big plot points that surround her character. She's just part of a group. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is an interesting choice to do this film now rather than let's say after Iron Man two. Yeah. Yeah, where she was a bigger part. Uh, but no, Marvel directors have announced that Kate Shortland will direct it. Um, she is a indie director from Australia who um, has done projects like Law and the Berlin Sy- Syndrome. Both films like very highly praised at Cannes. They're very they're very arty films, um, right. and she's and she's very used to shooting psychological dramas. And with, specifically with Berlin Syndrome, she saw. <laughs> She stopped, she she um, did the whole thing in shot the whole thing in Berlin, um, oh, wow. and it was about film about the First World War and about um, I, I, I think the Nazi occupation. Um, but I think she, from what I've seen of her filmography, I've watched lots of trailers. Um, it seems like she's got she's she does a really good job at feeling filming Europe realistically, well, okay. rather than like when Americans film Europe normally, it's kind of it's a it's a very odd look of where they're filming Europe. Um, so it'll be really, really interesting to see her Russian psychological take on Black Widow, especially as the film is going um, is going to be based before any any of the actual films. Um, Black uh, Widow's it's, it's a prequel, though. It's a prequel, yeah. It's essentially but Scarlett Johansson when she's like still in her secret society, if that makes sense, still working for the wrong yeah. people, um, which I think will be very exciting. Um, I'm from from what I've heard of Kate Shortland, she's a very good director. Um, I think it'll be a good film. I'm not that exci- I wasn't that excited when I heard that the Black Widow film's coming out, but hopefully I will be proved wrong um, and it will be a fantastic film. Mm, okay. Yeah, right. very, very exciting. Well, my, um, my final bit of film news comes from Joaquin Phoenix, the man of the hour, the guy that we're going to be talking about for this movie, this review today. That is a fantastic segue. Yeah. <laughs> that, man, is I, I, that is good. That is good. I actually, like, I don't know if you're aware of what I'm going to say, but a few days ago, it was confirmed that Joaquin Phoenix is going to be playing the Joker in the Todd Phillips origin film that we have been long theorising the lead actor in. Wow, so that's incredible. Apparently, it's been on Joaquin's radar for years. He's always been saying to his agent, why has no one yet done a lower budget, gritty, character-driven 
portrait of the Joker in feature-length film. And, so, and that apparently is completely in line with what Todd Phillips' standalone Joker Origins film is going to achieve. It's going to be a relatively low budget. It's going to be dark. It's going to be kind of probably 15, 18 rated. And based off this performance we've just watched of him in You Were Never Really Here, which we'll talk about shortly, he is uh, more than capable of doing a kind of lost, traumatised, like, killer psychopathic character so i think uh, i think it could you know it could give Heath fledger a run for his money i think that'd be fantastic i think the thing i like about him in this film especially which i think he can transfer to the joker is um a level of sort of he he can almost be seen as a psychopath but you still have so much empathy for him which i yeah. think is gonna be perfect for the joker seeing that especially as a joker origin story where you, you can see the twist you can see the twist where he becomes um irrecog- irrecognizable um, yeah, I think that'd be fantastic. Um, just just quickly, was Martin Scorsese supposed to be directing the film? Has that changed? So Martin Scorsese was originally in talks to be the director, but he's now the executive producer, which ah, okay. to, to, to me, again, just makes it even better. The only thing I am a bit nervous about is the fact that Todd Phillips, the director, is the guy who did the Hangover trilogy and War Dogs. Um and apparently, like Phoenix has like sung his praises about how Todd Phillips has penned some of the script, and he has this really great vision for it and whatnot. And you know, we directors can kind of suddenly come out of the woodwork, and they could be kind of known for kind of like cheesy comedies or whatever, and then just suddenly turn around and do something really, really mental um, and really, really deep and really inspiring. But I'm just, you know, Hangover trilogy. I'm a bit skeptical of him as a director. Yeah, doing, I doing a, doing a DC film. Um, I can see that will it it kind of lift them up out of their kind of fog or will it kind of just be a bit meh and will it be a a bit of a suicide squad Um, I think I think with Martin Scorsese as an executive producer that can keep him in check with some of his choices but also Joaquin Phoenix loves getting in character involved in the story Um, and I think I think that if it wasn't a good proposal he just wouldn't do it he is the actor that would just walk away Um, yeah I worry that he. I worry. Has the film started shooting yet? No, it starts shooting in the fall. I do worry that this. What? What? It could be another Suicide Squad where there's so many reshoots, there's so many problems with it. Fingers crossed, it all goes smoothly. It's a fantastic film. It's gritty and it's gonna. It's gonna blow. Uh, it's gonna blow the recent DC um, adaptions and che- and um, new films out the water. I think. But, I think. Yeah. I think- they're learning from their mistakes and what's going to happen now is over the next three or four years we're going to see a string of DC films that are actually pretty good but again are all standalone they aren't really very well connected and they won't stand as solidly as Marvel Studios because they're all individually good but they don't really cohesively join together yeah but I think DC could do that if they just if they just Try to change if they if they're not doing what Marvel's doing, uh, which is creating this massive megaverse. Um, if they just sort of do film to film to film to film, change the director, change the style, change the aesthetic, change the tone, I think it'd be really really interesting. Whereas Marvel has a pretty consistent tone throughout its the, the whole the, the, a lot of their films. Guardians changed it up, and there's definitely definitely films that are arty and um, weird and wacky that have got weird directors, but. 
it's all in the same base. The jokes are the same. You you have yeah. you kind of get an idea of what film you'll kind of see. I think DC could have a real niche is that if they have if they have films that have a, a, a very very different tone and nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. We'll just uh, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. We'll we? see what happens. Yeah, it'll be fantastic. But, but anyway, um, that concludes news hour. <laughs> news hour. <laughs> we should get like Big Ben chiming at that point. Where, oh yes, exactly. Dun, 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 dun. Well, I was go- well, I was going to do the I was I was going to do like a news thing, but I was like, I don't want to get sued by BBC or ITV, so I was yeah, going to sing it, but that'd be a disaster. Um, yeah. So, do you want to start talking about you never re- really were here? You were never really here, yeah. You were never really uh, here, yes. So, do you, for for our for our avid listeners, do you want to give them a brief overview of what the film is, what it's about? Yeah. Um, so we have the central character uh, who's played by jo- Joaquin Phoenix, uh, who is Joe. Joe is an enforcer of some description. He is paid by people um, lots of money to rescue and save kids that have been kidnapped, kids that have gone missing. Um, and what we learn about the character he's, is he's quite brutal and he doesn't talk that much and he's quite he's quite within himself. Um, at the beginning of the film, you see these lovely sequences of um, him and his mother talking, but it's it's kind of a it's an odd relationship. Um, you can uh, there are flashbacks to some natures of his past, yeah, which Joe, are Joe's heavily traumatized from his heavily traumatized from, from kind of like an abusive childhood, from uh, time in the army where he saw some kind of war crimes, and then also from what I kind of gleaned on my. I, I've actually, I, like you, well, I've gone through and I've watched this film twice now because um, it, it just it is that mesmerising, it is that fantastic. But he also, there's a brief bit where it kind of flashbacks to him as like an FBI agent. Um, yes. So so basically there's a, there's a long history of uh, traumatic events in this man's life that have kind of led him to be kind of like the slightly glazed uh, shell of a man that he used to be. Yeah. And he, and he fills that void by kind of, providing an outlet for his aggression uh, his aggression by kind of like yeah going and rescuing girls that have been kidnapped and things like this yeah i yeah it's it's very very that and what what's so great about the flashback sequences is they are split second and layered and layered throughout the film so there are continuous recurring points where every time every time you see a flashback it it it's it keeps a bit of the thing you've seen and then adds a tiny, like a second or two extra. And that's all the exposition you need. You don't get told any exposition about his background. You just see these horrific images that are filmed so well. You don't see the faces. You can, you see it, see it briefly for a second. You just see bodies a lot of the time. It's when I was watching it, I found that it was shot in a very similar way to hereditary was. Oh yes. I thought the exact same. I'm sorry. You said that. yeah, it's got a very dark, moody colour palette, but without being one of those films that's kind of you're straining your eyes to look at because you can't quite see everything. It's very, it's, it's very dark, but very well lit. Yes. Um, but it's also, this, this isn't a horror film per se, but it is like Hereditary, another kind of character portrait, kind of watch the disintegration of kind of a person's psyche happen on screen. And it's it's got these very jumpy shock moments where it kind of very, very quickly without seemingly like no kind of like intended timing or no kind of like build up. It just cuts to these these awful things for like a couple of seconds and then goes back into like the like the modern day. Yeah. Um, and it is it's it's really scary. 
it is it's really sharp it's really kind of it really kind of twists the knife and you, you kind of you, you start to become quite kind of frightened when you're watching this film because you don't really you don't really know when you're going to next see another thing really awful exactly and they and it, and it surprises you because they because how they shoot the action action sequences is it sometimes is very brutal very visceral in your face um lots of blood um but sometimes it's shot um it's shot the action sequences are shot where you don't see the action um yeah. and so you've no idea what the next scare or shock is going to be and what is so shocking uh, interestingly lynn ramsey the director talked about um how she with, with the film she didn't want it, she didn't want the action sequences to be um cheap she wanted them to be playing completely into the mind of the character she wanted the psyche of the character the emotional psyche of the character to be portrayed in the action sequences so some of them are very cold and but some of them are very 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 brutal um so and some of them are quite removed and detached and I, it's in- I, I thought that, and I thought that some of the action sequences in this are probably some of the most um, cleverly shot moments on, like I've seen in films in recent years. They, they, the bit that sticks in my head, Will, is the the scene where he breaks into the building to go and rescue the girl. I'm, yeah. kind, of, I'm, I'm kind of talking... I'm kind of hesitant to go too deep into explaining this film because I think it's, it is a, it's a real masterpiece. It is a real masterpiece. And I, and I know that pretty much anyone that's going to listen to this episode probably hasn't seen it because it had such a limited run in the UK when it came back out back in March. So I'm wondering whether maybe we should do this relatively spoiler-free and talk in generalisations. I think, I think that would make um, sense, yeah. I, I, will yeah say, I will say the plot, the plot is not too complex, but it's not the plot that we're, we're, we're spoil, is spoiling. By no. the, by, it, it's the nature and the visceral films. You need to see it first time. We do, I don't want to spoil the first time you've, you've ever experienced this because it is an experience. It's a cinematic experience when you, when it you watch really it. It really is. And it is, it is, it is a short film. It's about 90 minutes long. Well, I say short by like modern standards, but it is like, it's incredibly It's not Dance intense. with Wolves. I think, I think I saw a review that, that described it quite well. It said that essentially Ramsey, because this is an adaptation of a novella by a guy called Jonathan Ames, which is quite a well-known book. And it's pretty much, you know, it, she's taken a lot of the, you can, you can kind of gain more from the book apparently about kind of like the backstory of the character and, and all of that kind of stuff. But in this, there is just minimal kind of explanation and exposition given to everything that's going on. There, there are some, there are characters in this film that get about 40 seconds of screen time and you would you would count as like one of the five or six supporting actors in the film, and they, like this film is essentially ninety minutes of Joaquin Phoenix with maybe like five to ten minutes of a young female lead. I don't know her name. So her name is Eka, um, the the name is Ekaterina Samsonov. Yeah, she plays Nina. Um, the only so I just just quickly before you go back into it, she's been in Wonderstruck, which was a Amazon film. So I think that she because this is produced by Amazon Prime. Um, I think that that they just got her from the Amazon Prime. But she's mainly a model. She's modelled for like DKMY, H and M Gap. So it's one of her big film roles. Yeah. Yeah, but but as you were saying, yeah, it, there's not a there's not a lot of mainly. This is a whole this whole film is about Joe's character and Joe's mind and the decline of that. And, and well, not even like the decline for me. I think it's like the a better way to describe it is more like him struggling to stay yes. afloat. He kind of he has 
you know, he's he's an incredibly um, disturbed man who has has you know kind of reached the end of his tether in so many ways. The kind of like the suicide dialogue is consistent throughout this film. It exists and it's very real and it's very raw. Um, this is a man who's kind of yeah you know walking that tightrope. But then equally, it's also a man who has who finds great joy in some of the simplest things in life. Um, which you, you, you notice throughout the film is a bit where he's kind of just like, you know, he's in the middle of like a load of shit going on, which is basically his character for the whole film. And there's a there's a scene that I thought was really endearing where he's kind of like sat on a sofa, like fussing over his neighbour's yeah, cat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and it's like, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's not anything special, you know, it's just, a, you know, an average cat. Um, and it's like a 40-something-year-old bloke stroking it, but there's something about the way his eyes kind of illuminate. He's like a... He's almost like a, a gentle giant by day and, a, you know, a violent monster by night. It's a very kind of... It's a real no, it really is, yeah. Um, well, have you heard about these things? So I think one of the main things which endears me to him as a character is his relationship with his mother. It is odd, and it has, it has some weird um, moments in it, but... You can see that he genu- genuinely has so much respect and love, and he really he really takes care of her. There's a scene where he's um, polishing cutlery with yeah. her, and they're singing to each other. They're going through the alphabet and singing, and it's just it's, it's just it's almost like that the cam- like the cameras were just left on, and they're just ad libbing living and filming. It's a really beautiful moment. Um, but have you heard that there um, there have been alternative readings of this film where there has been? Don't don't be too spoilersome because I have. But is it going to ruin it? No, no, it's, no, 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 it's not. It's nothing. It's, it's nothing to do oh, with God. any of the things that happen with the mother and son. Um, but the 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 idea of um, mother and son incest. Have you seen any of this? No. Oh, yeah. Really? So um, Mark no, Mode picked it up uh, as he does, um, and then in <laughs> I don't sure much, honestly. Um, he, he, this is his favourite film of the year so far. So there was going to be lots of shout outs from Commode. Yeah. Oh really? Um, oh, but cool. no, he he. Um, he wrote it in his article for the Guardian that, like, I really love this whole idea that she, Lynn Ramsey, is playing with the idea of um, mother-son incest and like how can we can be empathetic from that. And then he interviewed Lynn Ramsey the next week, and she said, "No, that's not it." And he was like, <laughs> yeah. um, "So I, I, I think that's wrong. I think there's so much endearment to the character, and yes, it's a weird relationship, but I think that's just be- the fact, just because of the fact they've been through trauma. I think their trauma has brought them together in a really fucked up but lovely way." Yeah, I, I, I also my reading from some of it, and again, this isn't going to anything that happens in the film. It's more kind of just discussing the character of Joe. Um, I kind of alternatively looked at it and thought maybe this is a guy who's been driven by all of his fucked up experiences to actually become his father, become a domestic abuser himself Um, and could kind of be in a stage of his life where he's, you know, he wants to end it all because he feels incredibly guilty about it, but also kind of wants to kind of make up for it. I can see that. And, and the, the only there, 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 there are just like a, there are a couple of little bits early on. It, it's not really addressed in the film. It's not something that's heavily discussed. But there are a couple of little bits early on in the film, which are you know relatively unimportant or seem relatively unimportant. But I kind of the second time I watched it, I kind of lingered on them. And it was uh, one of the bits is yeah where he's kind of like with his mum in the house and he's kind of like cleaning out the fridge or something, and she says like, "How's Janice?" 
and Joe's like, "Who's Janice, Mum?" And the you know the the, the senile mum is like, "You know, Janice, your your girlfriend." And he's like, "Oh, what? You mean my girlfriend from twenty years ago?" And she says, "Like, yeah, oh, she would have made a great wife or a great mother or something." And then, like, about five or ten minutes later in the film, there's a bit where he's kind of stuck at, stood at a train station and he hallucinates, um, like, a, a young woman hiding behind one of the train station pillars with a black eye. And I don't know whether maybe it was kind of leading you to suggest that he, he could have actually inherited some of his father's... I mean, he definitely inherited his father's anger because there's, there's bits in... Uh, like, again, there's bits in the film where you see kind of like the childhood abuse and flashbacks and you see the presence of a hammer and Joe's kind of weapon of choice throughout the film is a hammer. So he definitely inherited some stuff from his dad and I just wonder whether maybe the film was kind of leading you to suggest that he also kind of adding to the guilt of everything he's experienced in his life is is, is some of his own doing. Yeah, I think that I think that can make sense definitely. Um, it's it's just such an amazing film. I'm, I'm, I'm do you know it is, it is beautiful, it's so beautiful as well, and the sound, the soundtrack by is he's called Johnny. No, Anthony, no, no. Do, do you know who he is? Uh, Johnny, no, Johnny Greenwood, lead guitarist and key. Oh, Greenwood. Johnny Greenwood, lead guitarist and keyboardist for Radiohead. Oh, that makes so doesn't much it? Sense. Uh, when I heard it, I was like, it sounds very oh. Burn the Witch, which is the the, the later um, Radiohead stuff. Um, but he's also, I, I, I thought he was. Um, and I thought that similar to Hereditary, where it was Colin Stetson who uh, was linked to Arcade Fire, this was one of his first forays into um, film soundtracking. No, he's done There Will Be Blood, The, Fan- the Phantom right. Thread, the um, Daniel Day-Lewis thing that came out last year, and then previously Lynn Ramsey's work um, of We Need to Talk About Kevin. Um, he's... D- He's yeah, done some okay. of the some of the really really big soundtracks, and it's so atmospheric. He uses these um, drums um, to make and drums and violins and and screeching in a very similar way that Hereditary uses them to create such a sense of suspense. And it's and again, like Hereditary uses, it's um, the dissidence between silence and then extreme heavy um, discordant sounds, which I love. It- it reminded me of the "Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared." Yes, very, very videos. that. Some it's like because it's kind of like when in the moments in the film where Joe's life kind of starts going to shit, it changes from either kind of calm, somber kind of piano key music or like kind of slightly uh, inner city sci-fi futuristic sounds, kind of Blade Runner esque. It changes from all of that to kind of like screeching, getting more and more kind of erratic. Um, and like violins and then like a key kind of playing in the background going faster and faster and it, it, it becomes really really stressful really really quickly um it, it kind of sounds like it, a it, it, exact, it, you know, i think that's that's what they're trying to invoke it definitely um, sounds like that yeah, yeah it was yeah it, it yeah it really really made an impact uh, yeah I, I completely agree the soundtrack is absolutely incredible i mean this <laughs> film for me is one of the one of the films that's going to stick with me for a long time as i said i've it's yeah, really as, special. As really, I said, really I've seen special. it twice, and that was just to take it in twice. I wanted to see it in a different way. And that's um, what um, Komodo again talks about. Um, but having done film studies at university, I get this. It's a film that uses... It's a film that it, that could never be a book. It's a film that is inherently cinematic. Um, all this emotion... But it, you don't 
it's well, yes, it is adapted from a John Amos novel. But what I'm saying is the film version of it could never be adapted from the book. Right. Um, the, yeah, the, yeah. the 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 book itself. Um, I've read I've read some interviews with Lynn Ramsey, and what she said about it is that she said I, I'm going to take. She said to the author, "I'm just going to let you know I'm taking so much liberty with the plot; it's it's ridiculous. However, what I want to get about your book is the emotional tone, and I want to produce it cinematically. I want the emotional tone to be a cinematic moment of your book. Um, and the main way that she did that was set was by the fast paced nature of the film, very heavily, very edited, very edited sharply together. The small, the small takes." Um, of, of of people doing the same thing again and again and again. And I think that's what's made this film a masterpiece, is it's taken the emotion and the fast-paced tension of the book and made it inherently cinematic. 100%. 100%. Now, I'll tell you what, should we jump onto Critic Quote Awards before we end up ruining it for people that want to watch it after our Yeah, yeah I think that's a good idea. Um, so, uh, do you want to make Joyce go first? or Still... Still, still jingleless. But uh, what, what would you say your best reviewer reviewer description, best critic description? Of You're going to laugh. Well? Um, my my best description is from a fairly unknown critic. I, I don't know if I've mentioned him before. It's uh, Mark Commode, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and he says this: reimagining Amos's page turning source, Ramsey strips out explicit exposition, conjuring an elliptical world through which the audience must find its own way. The focus. No, it's oh. great. It gets better. I know it's it's a wonderful it's a wonderful sentence the focus is on Joe's inner turmoil creating a kaleidoscopic portrait of his fractured psyche interspersed with flashbacks that offer clues to his shattered emotional state isn't he just the best I like it it's it's a a bit film critic-y and that but that's kind of what I like about Commode is that he 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 is he loves being verbose um and he loves yeah, he's so he loves being eloquent, love, doesn't he? And showing off his kind of literary exactly, prose. Exactly. Uh, my best description came from Stephanie Zacharek from Time right. magazine. And she she said, You were never really here is a demanding film, but it's not a reckless one. To watch it is to see a rigorous and intensely creative filmmaker at work. Ah, I think that's very good. Which I think is a, I think is a really good way of describing it. It's uh, you know, it is it's 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 a tough watch, but without feeling hard to watch. I completely agree. You know, this film received a seven minute standing ovation at Cannes. Seven, yeah, seven yeah, minutes. It's crazy, isn't it? And 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 the fact that this just you know I know it was always going to be low budget and it is generally speaking it's the art house film, but this should have had a bigger run in the UK. I'm, I'm shocked it didn't. I, I I don't think I don't like because I remember being aware of it back in March, but I don't remember being kind of given the opportunity yeah. to go and see it. I, it was it was such a surprise when I discovered it, it, how amazing it was because there was no publicity for it. Um, I thought it would be I thought it would be a film that could be really considered for Oscars, but I don't. I mean, and maybe yeah, it still so, will be, but from what I'm seeing, it's it's kind of getting forgotten about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your most savage uh, my quote? most savage quote is from Christopher Orr of the Atlantic. Uh, who says, You Were Never Really Here is not a film that particularly wants you to like it, but with its highbrow talent and arty flourishes, it all but dares you to admit that you disliked it. Challenge accepted. Okay, um, all right. The, bit, it's a, bit yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit <laughs> rude. It's, it's the one, it's, there's not many bad, bad critic reviews. There's some, there's some... Oh, I disagree. I only found one. Okay, good. I, I, I was this one. I thought this one was um, quite well toned, but I think he was essentially saying pretension, yeah. which I disagree completely. Yeah, <laughs> I get you. I get you. My one is a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more um, 
sarcastic. It's from Scott Marks at the San Diego Reader. And it says, Phoenix, the mumbling master of smug self-indulgence, dons another layer of Emperor's new duds to favour us with a performance as subtle as a fart in a sardined elevator and twice as odiferous. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. I did not think they could get that, that rude about this film. Wow. I, I, you know what, I think smug self-indulgence is a bit unfair for an actor who is like 42 now, lost his brother. You know that River Phoenix, his, his famous kind of model and acting brother, died of a drug overdose. No, I did not know that, right? wow. Yeah, man, yeah, yeah. So he's had a, he's had a fucking hard old life. And he's he's consistently been a part of some of the best Hollywood productions ever. I mean, fucking Gladiator is a masterpiece. Um, a couple of years ago, he was in that film Her which I think is one of the best love stories on and also, film. And also, is, um, we were taught about her in our in English because I was doing a course on the um, emotions and the literature on artificial intelligence. And her is such a seminal film for the artificial intelligence field because it, taught, it discusses the emotion behind it. Um, it's really interesting. I'm, I, yeah, I don't, think, I don't yeah. think he's pretentious at all or... Like, I, I, I think that he just chooses very good projects. I think it's fine to be picky about your projects, um, especially when you've done things like Gladiator that have raped you in money and stuff like that. You're, al- you, you're allowed, to, if, yeah. you, if you've got the talent, why not be picky about your projects? Um, there's a, without, yeah. Before we go on to um, my, my funniest quote, um, there's a thing from Lim's Ramsey where a lot of reviewers have called her difficult, but, they, but a lot of reviewers call the same people who are not a woman um, they they call her, they call the other people's people picky, and I do struggle with it because it is like Lynn Ramsey is is being attacked for um, not going not directing Moby Dick in space, um, falling out with Jane Got a Gun, and it's because she, it's not her projects, it's over overproduced. This is exactly where she should she should be. She should be in this indie cinema where she's doing it herself. She's got a vision. She's yeah, got a vision. Yeah. Um, I don't think she's being difficult. I think she's just being like I think she's just trying to trying to do the best job she can with the work. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. What's your um, funniest description? Um, yep. So it's, uh, this is, what I found interesting about this one is this is a negative, I think it's a negative review, but it's got a, but it's, no, 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 <laughs> but it's got a, it's got a four star out of five, but the, but the words are not. Four stars out of five. That was beautiful. Oh, dear Your voice warms my heart. I got caught. So it's one Richard Von Busak from the North Bay Bohemian. He says, um, director Lynn Ramsey cuts away anything thrilling or even compelling. It's a vigilante movie so aestheticized that loses energy. Knuckle sandwich with the crusts cut off, served on a doily. (laughs) (laughs) Served on a doily. Just just an odd, odd thing to say. But then gave the film four out of five stars. Very odd. (laughs) Though so, so odd. Yeah, when you. I didn't find I didn't find the funniest quote. Unfortunately, ah. um, I, I didn't I didn't think anyone was particularly banterful other than the fight in a sardine elevator. Um, so mine came from Robert Martin at the Starburst. Whatever the hell that is sounds sounds um, delicious. And it, 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 I essentially just went for another like good description of the film that I thought sums it up really well. It says um, you were never really here as a brutal film. You'll certainly flinch more than once, sometimes at what you think you might see rather than what you actually do. Yeah, very, very true. That's exactly it. Yeah, very, cool. very, very cool. Very cool description of it. I think, uh, all right, so in terms of kind of giving it a rating, I mean, I don't know about you, but 
I think it's it, it, well, yeah, I think I'm probably do actually. It's it's the best film we've reviewed in the yeah. past seven weeks. Um, I was trying to think about because yeah, I was trying to think. You know, what is the definition of a perfect ten out of ten film for us? And I, I don't think no. it is. I don't think it is for me. I think I think there are whether it was done deliberately and kind of backfired or or not. There are kind of narrative choices and creative decisions in this film that I think you know are like do leave weaknesses for example kind of i know that it's kind of meant to revolve around the character of joe but i was a bit frustrated that i didn't kind of get a little bit more kind of character development from some of the other amazing actors and amazing characters in the film um so for me i think i'm going to give it a nine out of ten because i think it is absolutely amazing it completely floored me both times i watched it i want to watch it again um and I want as many other people as possible. Yeah, please to watch, watch it. this film. It's incredible. Um, if you do anything from this podcast, is watch this film. Um, no, I'm also giving it a nine. We're agreeing again for the second week in a row. Um, what, what are we doing? No, this is um, collusion. <laughs> collusion. <laughs> um, no, exactly, exactly. No, um, I think to give a film a ten, I think it's got to not only be a like a perfect film, quote unquote, but it's got to pull at my heartstrings um in in a way of nostalgia or in a way of comic yeah. like a comic book movie that's like the best film i've ever seen that kind of thing like something that something that really means a lot to me is going to be a 10 for me um this but this film yeah, is think, yeah. fantastic i agree with you i think a 10 comes down to a film that can genuinely make me cry but could also kind of bring back kind of real kind of personal feelings i think one of the only films that i could possibly relate to being close to a 10 out of 10 for me for both those reasons for kind of making me ball my eyes out and also kind of bring me back to kind of you know childhood memories and whatnot was paddington 2 i think um paddington 2 was just a phenomenal film i was really really not in the mood to watch it when i went to go and see it and was just completely immersed i i absolutely the whole series has done so so well and it is that that nostalgia um weirdly yeah and I think I, I think the Christopher Robin film that comes out in August is going to struggle because I think the Paddington crowd aren't going to be as well. I am now very excited. I mean, um, slight tangent, but me and Mum yesterday went to um, Pooh Bridge. Um, it, it, <laughs> we you, played Pooh Sticks. I won. I, we, I, I have a photo which will be on Facebook. I think tomorrow with my oh, um, with me <laughs> like with my victory pose on. But no, I'm now so excited for. Um, for the Christopher Robin film and all around the forest because um, it's it's located in Ashdown Forest um, the, on the walk to the bridge uh, you have like Wall the Owl's um, like house in the trees you have Pooh's like little like tree thing and they've got a little door they've made um, but then there's, there's all these kids have written notes for him and left him honey so there's all this honey around the, how, around it it's incredible it's one of the most incredible. Oh, what a sweet place! No, but you're right. Yeah. Well, anyway, speaking of speaking of kids' films, so next next week on the podcast, we are going to be doing Incredibles too. Your segueing this week has been fantastic, yeah. Jake. I know. Yeah, running a tight <laughs> ship this week. Well, we've got no no, no time going to Lovebox about now. We've got no time to exactly. no time to waste. Um, yeah, no Incredibles two next week. I am. Um, really really excited for this i know it's already been out for a month in the us i've been really holding myself off like torrenting it and just watching it on my laptop um so i'm, I'm really hoping it kind of you know lives up to the hype i think people are, i think this will be a good one to kind of review in terms of like our reviewers being just a bit too nice 
because I think it is getting glowing reports and it might not necessarily deserve them from what I've heard. Um, I think it'd be an interesting film to review. I loved the original Incredibles film. I was gutted when I I played the PS2 um, sequel to the Incredibles thing. Right. One incredible game. Um, You played played as Mr. Incredible in Frozone and you worked your way through the undergrounds of hell. And it was wonderful. Not the undergrounds of hell, but like hellish underground. (laughs) 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 I can't believe I just said that uh, on a podcast. But no, uh, what a a fantastic film. Um, The first one. I'm looking forward to the second one. The trailers have not fully excited me. No, I'm not that excited. But hopefully... D- um, D- Disney and Pixar pull it out once more, and we can and we will have a glowing review for it next week. Or we hate it, and then it's a fun, and then it's going to be a really really funny review next week. Um, yeah, yeah. Either way, I love a great reason to tune into fifty two week film projects. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. The yeah, it well. Um, thank you, thank you to everyone who's been listening. Uh, thank you to everyone on Instagram, Facebook, the like. Um, if you are kind of new to us, please kind of follow us on Facebook and Instagram, but also like we, you know, Spotify now. Woo! Yeah. Right. Um, we're really, really excited about that as a platform. We want to try and make that our main use. Can I say? A, can I say a thank so, you to um, someone? Um, uh, you, on, you know, you know him. You love him. Uh, Joel Heritage has listened to you, people who will not know who are, that that is, but he will. Um, he has, has listened to. In most, if not all, of our episodes, and had a real rundown with me yesterday, and was like, "What?" I'm like, "Shout!" He says, "I'm shouting stuff at the podcast of references and stuff that's in your that's in your head <laughs> that I know is in your head." Um, that I'm like shouting, he's like, yeah, yeah, no, no, not that." He was like, "I just, I just love it because he was like, this is a perfect podcast for me." And I, I was like, "That's per- that's such a compliment." And, re- and so, thank you. Keep listening. Brilliant. I love you, Joel. Um, yeah, thank you, Joel. Um, and thank you to everyone else we will see you next week right goodbye I've